like 35 and raining as hard as you can imagine. I mean, we were just soaked. It's like super ideal hypothermia conditions. Um, and we had no way to get out of it. You know, it's not like you're going to bivy out there. There was no way to get out of the wind. We pretty much just had to keep moving. You know, we'd already been moving 15, 16, 17 hours that day. Uh. And, uh, for me, it was like a complete survival situation. We just needed to get to the Topcock shelter cabin, and then it was going to be okay. But not knowing where it was, not knowing how long we were going to be out, I was really concerned about all of us because we just didn't we didn't have the clothes to be out in those conditions for a really, really long time, and, and that made me really nervous for the three of us. From KOM Cycling and Michigan Midpack Media, welcome to the Dirty Chain Podcast, the podcast that covers the cycling scene from the viewpoint of the Michigan Midpack. I'm your host, Trevor. And this is Sheldon. And today we sit down and hear a story of 1,000 miles, 60 pound bikes, negative 40 degree temperatures, freezing rain, and one dead frozen moose. On this episode, we hear from the three overall winners of the Iditarod Trail Invitational 1000, Peter Inman, Casey Fagerquist, and Michigan's own Jill Martindale. Before we get into that, Trevor, how's your week been in the mid-pack? Sheldon, we talked about this a little bit last episode, and if you don't mind, which I'm sure you will mind, <laughs> can we talk a little bit more about Zwift racing? <laughs> Uh, the bloody trainer. <laughs> I mean, there's there's nothing less dirty chain than Zwift, I'm sure. But, <laughs> but the sweaty I, chain. The sweaty chain, Ex- exactly. Maybe, yeah. But uh, I have been, since we've last talked about it, I've been um, competing a, in a couple more of these Zwift races. Yeah, you had done the one previously, yep. and uh, you I... messaged me, and you... You've been doing some more. Yeah, I kind of got the bug. I mean, it is, <laughs> I have to say, it's a lot of fun. And it's it's either fun because there ain't nothing else to do, and it's like one of the, the main forms of competition, I guess, right now. Or I, I kind of think it has a lot of merits on its own as being something that is actually super cool. I'm really <laughs> getting into the... One, there's so many different races you can join, different uh, levels of of uh, ability, different courses, different times. I mean, it's kind of sparking this bit of of uh, competitive edge in me that I didn't think it would with like staring at a computer screen. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, uh, it's either plant your ass on the couch or plant your ass on the trainer. <laughs> and, and honestly, I've been looking at my uh, trainer uh, and really starting to consider uh uh reactivating my zwift account as much as i 
I, I like to say I hate it. It's getting pretty tempting. I think it's something that you would get into. Just having conversations with you about Zwift and how you have a tough time not chasing down everyone that passes you. This is the perfect uh, opportunity to just... To chase down those people that are passing you. Yeah, and, and give it hell. I mean, it is... It's, it is a lot of fun. And even though in reality you're pedaling in place, you're on a train or you're staring at a computer screen for that 45 minutes, an hour, it really feels like a real race against real people. And I, I'm going to keep doing it. I think uh, as long as there's no racing um, outside and as long as the weather continues to be up and down, um, I really think it's a really a, – a, a real option for a lot of people and for me to, to keep my fitness up and just to, to get that uh, competition kind of out of the way. Now, you just mentioned in reality and competition. You also did something two days ago. Yeah, um, this is another thing that we talked about previously, but there's there's creative ways that people are kind of getting through this time of lockdown, creating these like Strava challenges and um, different solo attempt challenges, things like that. Um, but one that's been going on for the past few weeks is the Grit series over in Grand Rapids, the Grand Rapids um, individual time trial. And uh, we've kind of been looking at it from afar. We're both a part of their Facebook group, and it just seems like a ton of fun. A lot of people are competing and uh, participating. That ended last week, and then this week they organized a gravel version of it. And I thought, you know what? I got to throw my hat in. So we uh, reached out to one of the participants of the last uh, series. The um, more It was more uh, road-oriented or road-focused. Mm-hmm. Um, so we reached out to Emily to tell us a little bit more about her experience of the Grit series. Joining us now is Emily Molesky from Grand Rapids, Michigan. How are we doing, Emily? Good, good. Just uh, excited to have this uh, grid series going on to give us something to do while the races are all uh, postponed. Yeah, for sure. We thought it would be great if we had someone that actually participated in the grit series. I know there's a grit duro series happening now, but uh, yeah, we wanted to hear from someone that actually participated in the first three stages. But before you talk about that, let's let's kind of get to know what kind of riding that you usually do that you are experienced with. Yeah, um, so typically gravel and cross. So I've done the Michigan Gravel Series the last three years um, and done uh, all the like local kiss cross uh, races. And then last year was really my first year of kind of diving in and did pretty much every gravel race in Michigan um, and every cross race I could. So I think I ended at like just over 35 races for 2019. Holy cow. Wow. And so how... Yeah. Like back to back, back to back weekends and then cat four, five, cat three, four for cross. It's fantastic. Some doubled up. Yeah. Um, You're making me feel so lazy all of a sudden. (laughs) 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 So how'd you... Like we just uh, had Barry weekend that didn't happen. Were you um, mourning the, the lack of Barry this last weekend? Yeah, so I actually, Barry's like my favorite race of the year. Um, my first time doing it was like that really, I think it was 2016. Was that the really, really horrible year? The rainy year. Um, so I did it on my Salsa Fargo um, and 
it was my first gra- like actual gravel race that I've ever done. So I kind of like went in and had like the cra- most crazy weather. Um, and then the year after that, um, it was the day after my wedding. So my husband and I did it on our tandem. And then the year after that, um, I did it with a broken hand or not, sorry, not a broken hand. That was the year that I was married. I got married. I did, did out of tandem with a broken hand <laughs> last year. I had gotten hit by a car a few days beforehand. Ooh. And then this year, the pandemic, you know. So it's your favorite awesome. race of the year, but it doesn't really sound like you've had very good yeah. <laughs> luck with it. Yeah. <laughs> but it's like one of my most favorite races. So it just uh, goes to show you how great the race is if you can uh, still favor it after some bad uh, bad luck beforehand. Absolutely. So looking forward to a race like this, um, or to races the entire season. Um, now that we don't have it, um, we have these uh, alternative challenges like the Grit Series. So how did you first hear about the Grit Series? Uh, so um, I saw that they that Matt had posted online, and at first I wasn't sure if I should do it or not because I'm not a roadie. I've never ever even ridden a road bike. I have like gravel bikes, cross bikes, mountain bike. Um, And I had to like actually look up what the difference between like a time trial bike and just a road bike was. Um, So I was, I went in like not really knowing what to expect. Um, But I was really happy to have something going on because all with all the races canceled or not canceled, but postponed, um, there was finally something to kind of like work for. Um, And it was like a, hard it was hard i mean being doing those on a gravel bike um and you just see these people wearing these like very roady outfits that <laughs> i i just i'd never thought i'd like you know be riding with with uh those people like in the same race series so it was really cool to kind of see like all the different um groups of people come out and uh level of competitiveness and the crazy like arrow helmets and stuff like <laughs> so uh, we quite we, a diverse group right we've talked about it a little bit but we haven't really gone into detail so like can you explain what the three stages were how long they were what the courses were like and i mean you already you already started off it was all pavement right it was all road for this first iteration yeah. of the grit series yeah all pavement um, so it was three stages and the, uh, let me just pull it up here. I want to make sure I say all the right distances. Um, so three stages over three weeks you had from Monday to Saturday to complete it. And you could complete it like at any time during, um, during that. And so like, it was kind of like a key thing of checking the weather because it has been so windy. Um, so I have like some pretty deep wheels on my, a gravel bike so I could definitely uh, feel that on some of the days uh, and I'm working from home so I can't just like go in the middle of the day so um, that was a, a little hard uh, let's see here so I think wasn't it like it was, a, 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 it was pretty the first one was real short correct it was like yeah like like six like 10 k yeah 10k so six miles 12 miles 20 is that 20 20k but the, the yeah, last one was like 40 40k right yeah 24 miles. Yeah. So 10, 20, 40 K. Um, the first one definitely like I warmed up, went out there. We saw, so it was actually really awesome because you saw these people that you wanted to see, but you're not like really allowed to see, but like you saw them from a distance, very 
quickly going past you or, you know. Um, so the first one just like flew by. Like I couldn't, it was just very, very quick. Um, and that was like my first introduction to kind of anything road. Uh, so it kind of just felt like the beginning of a cross race where you just like sprint all out. Sure. Uh, so that one wasn't too bad. And then the second one, that one, that's the Bailey one, right? I'm not, I, I'm not sure. That's why we brought you on to. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me find it. <laughs> Bailey's the first one. Got it. Now I had to like sort them out of my head of which one was which. Okay. So there's the 10, 20, 40. The first one is Bailey. And that was like the climb and you're just in an open area. Um, and then the second one was Rutherford. That was out like by um, off like the Muscatawa. And then the third one was in Lowell. I've got them all straight now. Okay. Um, so Bailey, the first one, it kind of got me because it's just like was really short. But um, I kind of went out thinking in my mind, like my mindset, um, I rode out from Grand Rapids out to uh, like Ada to, to ride it and kind of had the mindset of, okay, it's like a cross race, but it's like way harder than a cross race because a cross race, you're not like, you know, six miles of like just sprinting, like you're getting off your bike and like you're going over barriers and stuff. Um, and it was all pavement. So I was just like, I'm not used to that. And I think at the time, my I used my Warbird because my love was like still destroyed from Landron. Like I couldn't even use it. And so I had like 48s on my warbird okay. <laughs> so i'm like prepared for sand and i'm on this like smooth pavement like maybe hoping for some like dusty potholes that i can utilize my wheel you know my tires on um but it was awesome like being able to see so many people out there um my husband and i even got our mother-in-law to or my mother-in-law to come out there so it was like a whole family event to do the the first time trial oh, that's fun um and then the second one, Rutherford, a lot, it was like really open still. So it was just like, I felt like I was getting blown away and um, it was just off the Muscatawa. And like, I was able to do it on a Saturday that was just like really windy instead of incredibly windy. Um, <laughs> and I have just like deep wheels on my, I was on my loaf, which is like great for gravel. Um, and I definitely had like this like FOMO of like, why don't I have a road bike um, the entire time? thinking like it would be just, I could be so much faster if I had like teeny tiny tires on here and I uh, could be more aero. Um, but I mean, the whole thing about it was just really cool to see so many people out there. And there are a lot of people who I've never met before just because I'm not familiar with the like roadie scene. Um, and just being able to like say, hey, and kind of have that, that bond over like, hey, it's really awesome that we're out here riding because there's nothing else that we have like to, to kind of like train for. Um, at least this gives us something to be motivated about. Um, and then that was just like, it was actually a really great day that the Rutherford one, um, because it was just like just short enough that you could kind of go all out and still like ride around and not be exhausted. But then the last one, Oh, <laughs> that one was hard. I like got out of work was like I need to go ride this last one it was like the last or the second to last day I could do it um 
I didn't feel good the whole day. So I like pounded water, like trying to stay hydrated. So like ended up like just puking water as soon as I finished and like <laughs> didn't even warm up, just like parked. And I think it did like a half mile warm up. But the, I mean, I wouldn't say like this as a strategy, but like mentally it felt really good because like as I kept warming up, I got faster. So instead of like being your prime and then like slowing down, I was like, oh, I'm still warming up. I'm still warming up. And like a few miles in, you know, five or six miles in, I'm a little bit warmer and going faster than I was at the beginning. Um, it was really hard not having a road bike for those. Um, I would have to, I just like, it was kind of like you got mad at yourself because you're like, I can't go any faster. And then you have to remind yourself, oh, I'm on a gravel bike. Like I, I'm not on a time trial bike. Of course, someone on a time trial bike is just going to like whip past me. So uh, it was kind of like a mental toughness uh looking at some of the times like for your you know for me personally um but i just i guess i just really liked being able to see all the different uh, like kind of uh groups that were able to come out because i just know like the gravel scene and the cross scene i don't i've never done a crit never ridden a road bike um are you still happy that you took took part in the experience regardless of the fact that you didn't have a road bike i mean it looked like they had over a hundred people uh, participate in it, and hearing your stories and just like seeing people recount their experiences on Facebook. I mean, this sounds like a, a legit like like race recap kind of thing, you know? Oh my gosh, I you I lived for the recaps. Like <laughs> I would just like every night be like, all right, when is Matt gonna post the oh, next act- recap? Like actors I didn't care recap about were they were hilarious. <laughs> I'm curious who had more fun, the people writing it or Matt and Jenny making these recaps. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. It was great. It was great. And then there was like people that were just going out there just to take pictures of people that were riding it. Like just the, the idea of having something to look forward to is really just such a morale booster right now. So having something like the Grit Series um, is really valuable to the community. And I think it brings a sense of connectedness that we wouldn't have. And I mean, especially like I said, you know, I've never, I don't have a road bike. I've never ridden with like roadies before. So it was cool to kind of bridge that gap of different uh, groups all in one. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, it it just sounds like it it is accomplishing exactly what they were hoping it to accomplish. Um, I I kept seeing all the fun everyone was happy, having, so I was like, I have to I have to give this next one a shot, which is gravel, which is a little more up your alley. So, what are you looking forward to for this next series? Yeah, well, I went to do it yesterday. I'm probably gonna go do it again just because. I, why not? Yeah. Um, and I really like the idea that they're going to all be a little bit longer. Um, and then the idea that you have the different, like the time segments, I think that it's just kind of a, even more of a, a motivator to go out there because, you know, like, even if you're not, you know, feeling the freshest that day, you're like, all right, I've just got to push myself for these four segments, you know, right. this, you know, how many ever miles it is, what, like, six or seven miles that I have to push myself. So I think it's even more of a motivator, but also um, just uh, can kind of get everyone from different skill sets because it's uh, you have this whole route that's not just about sprinting the whole time. It's about, you know, just those segments. Um, And of course, I love gravel and it it has like a little bit of the two track on the um, Durham. Matt's gravel routes are really awesome. So I 
um, I'm really excited to see what the next two stages for the Great Duro uh, routes have um, have entailed I, for them. I heard there might be some uh, some seasonal road action happening, so I'm maybe a little more sand. Maybe you get to use your uh, 48s for. <laughs> oh my gosh, I would love it if there was some two track sand. That's honestly like my favorite. I love riding in like the mud, the rain, and sand. If I could have all races like that i'd be like super pumped were you at iceman this year yeah yeah so, that was so great you, you had you had a blast yeah yeah it was and it was like it was like a kind of a cross race too because you had to like get off your bike <laughs> oh, and carry it slash stand in the line <laughs> and then um but land run takes the prize for like the muddiest oh race. yeah yeah Emily, thank you very much. This was awesome. We appreciate yeah. uh, it. was great meeting you, and uh, hopefully we'll see you at some events in 2020. Most definitely. Yeah, look forward to seeing you guys. Thanks for having me, and um, hopefully you get to get out there and do some of the rest of the Grit Duro series too. For sure. Thank you, Emily, for uh, remotely sitting down with us and telling us about your experience in last week's Grit series number one so from the still cold and windy and sometimes snowy spring of michigan let's look back to the even colder winter of alaska and hear more about the Iditarod Trail Invitational 1000. Now, being local to us, being local to Michigan, we first reached out to Jill Martindale, um, wanting to know about her experience and know more about this race. But Jill uh, had an even better idea, and she coordinated to have the two other first place finishers so the five of us could sit down and talk about their 22 days in the Alaska wilderness. Yeah, we really thank you, Jill, for for putting that together and getting us in contact uh, with with all of you. Um, and uh, yeah, Sheldon, it was kind of like a witnessing a reunion. I mean, they were together for very almost intimate, a full month, <laughs> almost a full month, and experienced something incredible. And then uh, to have them back to be able to uh, reminisce and talk through their experience, it was something really special. I think. Yeah, uh, hearing the three of them tell these different stories on course that only the three of them were uh, present for, you could kind of, you could see and hear in their voices this reminiscing of an absolutely epic event. It's something that I can't, still can't wrap my mind around. I'm sure Sheldon can't, and I'm sure (laughs) probably most of our listeners cannot either. But let's hear the story from the winners themselves. It's good to see you again, Casey. Yeah, it's good to see you too. I mean, it's kind of the first time we've seen each other since our since our departure. Since our big, yeah. A month together out on the trail. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, there, there we are. are. Hey, yeah. <laughs> Peter, how's it going? Finally, I can hear you guys. <laughs> and we can hear you. Great. This is awesome. Hey. How's it ride? It was great. It was a little longer than originally planned, but 
was pretty good. A little chilly. Yeah. It's good to see you. <laughs> good super, to see you guys. Super windy today yeah. in Michigan. Was it windy in uh, Chicago area? It's pretty windy, yeah. Yeah. Now, was it, a, was it a fat tire ride, or are you not touching the fat tire for a while? Um, it was a gravel pavement mixed ride. Pretty good. Yeah, no no fat bike for now. <laughs> <laughs> Has anybody touched their uh, their fat tire that they took out there? Their rig? <laughs> yeah, I've been riding mine. We had a good couple weeks of crest biking out to glaciers. So okay. Do you still have quite a bit of snow? We have a lot of snow, although it's been <laughs> 50 degrees and raining this week, so it's disappearing That's pretty fast. Sounds like Michigan, too, so... I mean, yeah. not the snow, but 50 degrees oh, and raining. We did, we did have yeah. two days of snow. Just Actually, we did. Day. Yeah. What am I saying? Yeah. Um, I had my fat bike and rode like a 20 mile ride and wanted to like cry and call Dan to scoop me up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think to begin this, since there's a few of us here, um, can we just go around and say our name and where we are currently at this at this moment? Um, so, uh, Jill, do you wanna you wanna start us off? Uh, I'm Jill Martindale, and I'm in Grand Rapids, Michigan. All right, I'm um, I'm Peter Inman, and um, in Donovan's Grove, Illinois, close to Chicago. Okay. And I'm Casey Fagerquist, and I live in Anchorage, Alaska. And the three of you are here because you are all the the winners of the uh, Iditarod Invitational, Trail Invitational. Now, I think it would be great uh, for Sheldon and I and for all our listeners to we would like to we would like to know what this whole race was or is. So would one of you like to just give a give a shot to uh, define what the uh, Iditarod Trail Invitational is? <laughs> <laughs> we'll let Jill do it. What? I was. Yeah. <laughs> I think. I think Casey. I think you should do it just because you you said that. You threw it. Uh, the so you did it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what do you want to know? You want to know what it is to me, or you want to know just kind of the overall? We'll, we'll get there. Just define it. Just in its in its uh kind of bare bones, the simplest terms. Yeah, yeah, and then we'll we'll get into the the deeper stuff. Okay, well, I mean, the Iditarod Trail Invitational is just a human-powered uh, trek across Alaska on the Iditarod Trail, which goes basically from Kinnick, uh all the way to Nome. Um, you know, so human-powered is, you know, ski, foot, or bike, uh, and it's on the traditional Iditarod Trail uh, used by dogs, um, you know, to do the race to know it's a thousand miles to know. Now this year, um, how many people ended up towing the line at the beginning? 24 people towed the line to go to Nome. And I think, I don't know, 50 or 56, maybe towed the line for McGrath. Okay. Like and that's, that. that's the 300, correct? Yep. Okay. And that was, that was all bikes or is that just people on skis, people on snowshoes? Yep. That's ski foot and, uh, and bike. Okay. Now, was this the first time, uh, this is a question for all three of you. Uh, was this the first time doing this event or are any of you veterans of this, this, uh, race? 
Ooh, well, I've done the 350 twice. Okay. So, um, and then uh, it's my rookie year. It was my rookie year to go to Nome. Okay. Always yeah. bike? Always bike, yeah. I'm a skier <laughs> at heart, but I can't really. I'm going to make a lot of people mad about this. I just can't. I can't wrap my brain around skiing, skiing that far. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it was also, I've done the 350 once before. Uh, two years ago, and then this year was also my rookie year going to all the way to Nome. Uh, Peter has has been there a couple of times, um, so I kept referring to him as the fearless leader. <laughs> <laughs> so, Peter, you've done the you've done it a few times, then. Yeah, so I've done three fifty once in two thousand fifteen, and then I did um, thousand miles in 17 and last year so this was my third time going to know now now if i'm not mistaken to even take part in um i'm sure for the for the thousand mile but uh for the 352 do you have to is there like a vetting process i mean they don't want just any they probably don't want me to go up there and give this a shot right (laughs) (laughs) uh you have to qualify for it okay so it took um Took me a couple of years. Uh, I started with the Tuscobia Winter Ultra, and then moved on to the Arrowhead 135 uh, in order to qualify for the 350. Um, I don't remember exactly how many races you need in order to qualify for it. Do you remember, Casey? I don't off the top of my head, but you and I did the Fat Pursuit together mm-hmm. one time. Yeah, it definitely it definitely helps having experience in other races. Uh, and winter camping. The desire to be out in the cold. Yeah. <laughs> what was the coldest temperature you guys came across uh, over your 22 days? I think we had like 45 below for sure. Oh, my yeah. goodness. And that's without wind chill? That's without wind chill, yeah. Oh, man. So, I mean, all of you have experience in this type of event in these like winter ultras. Um, but how does one go about training and preparing for some su- such a undertaking like this um i don't know i don't know if like i felt like i was preparing as best as i could and then when i got out there i still felt pretty ill prepared um, <laughs> <laughs> but i did a lot of uh days where, like long loaded up bike rides um or just going out with my loaded up bike and practicing pushing um I go on dog runs a lot just because it's an easy kind of way to get a workout in and then still exercise my dogs. Uh, so I'll wear like my Wolfgar boots and take the dogs out and we'll just kind of bushwhack around and explore a little bit. Um, I think like I had the, the worst possible uh, conditions for training. We didn't have much snow this year at all. So it was pretty <clears throat> it was just riding and cold, but it wasn't really get it wasn't really that cold. So, and after I I, I was listening to Casey's um, podcast with uh, Randy, I was like, wow, a lot of hours training. I didn't feel like I trained enough, but <laughs> I mean, I've done it a couple of times, but still, I don't know if you can even train for this. It's just I don't know. Probably overall, like uh, over the years, sure. um, yeah. So 
getting all those uh, all those races and then rides. It's just um, yeah, experience from many yeah. you know previous races and rides. I guess. Yeah. Uh, I think it's accumulative for sure. <laughs> uh, I'm pretty specific about my training. You know, I I work with a coach and, you know, I go ride my bike every day with a specific purpose. Um, uh, I think largely, you know, I really enjoy being outside and I enjoy riding my bike. I like to have fun with it. I don't want to be it's not fun to be stuck inside on a trainer. So, um, you know, my whole thing with riding my bike is getting outside and being outside and having fun. So there's always fun infused in every training session, but it is a training session for me. I'm super specific about it. Um, and you know, we had like super ideal winter for training this year. It was cold. We had a lot of snow. I did the, I went out and did the copper basin 300, uh, course. It's a sled dog race out, uh, in the copper basin in interior Alaska. And it was 54 below out there. So <laughs> it was horrible. You know, it was really bad, but it, it helped me really dial in my cold weather stuff. Um, and so, you know, I think it's not, it's sweet to live in Alaska, but I have always just been really impressed with people to come up from the lower 48 because I know it's hard to get the cold weather training. It's hard to get the miles and miles and miles of riding on a snow machine trail, which is totally different than riding on groom track or roads or whatever. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think it's, you know, to a certain degree, I, I, it's a little bit of a, advantage to be in alaska i think uh, and i want to get to uh the snow and the cold and the gear in a second but i just don't want to get away from the fitness aspect of it is there anything that you do that you can do besides just going out and riding for i don't know seven hours i mean i can wrap my head around training for a hundred mile even a 200 mile race and like thinking okay this is where my heart rate and my zone needs to be but going out and i don't know you guys are doing what speeds of like five miles an hour six miles an hour i, I don't even know um how do you train for just that super um low endurance but just a huge amount of time Besides just um, going out for a long amount of time. <laughs> I think that's all you can do. Like, okay. totally, you know, for us, yeah. it's totally dependent on the condition. Sometimes the trail is really firm and I can, you know, I can average 12 miles an hour over an eight hour ride, you know, and then the next weekend I go out and do the same ride and it's like three miles an hour the whole time. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, like I said, I like to have fun with it so a lot of it is i do a lot of dog walks go run with the dogs uh you know bikes i like backcountry skiing so i i do a little of that um i think all of it all of it contributes to your fitness so i think just being outside and being active is is the most important part so yeah. uh jill and and peter um casey mentioned the snow machine trails is that what you called them yeah. Well, yeah. 
You guys call them snowmobiles. Everybody up here calls oh, them snowmobiles. Snow okay, okay. Yeah, same um, thing. But uh, did you find <laughs> um, or have you found like a big learning curve or a big adjustment when you get up to Alaska and having to ride on these conditions that you're not used to? Um, so I think some of the winter ultras in the Midwest, um, have, you know, snow machine trails that you ride on too. So for me, I am used to kind of how soft it can get or different types of, uh, conditions out there. But in Michigan or around Grand Rapids, we don't have a ton of snow machine trails. So I'll wind up riding a lot of gravel and then going a lot of places where I know it's going to be soft, um, so like down by Yankee Springs here mm -hmm. in Michigan, there's some forest service roads that like all wheel drive trucks will drive down and then nobody else goes down these roads. Um, so I would do a lot of riding in that area just because it would be soft. It'd be a lot of pushing. Um, it would be kind of slow going. Um, for me, I practice the mental aspect of it a lot. Um, so it's really like, I've definitely like pulled myself out of a race before because I wasn't going as fast as I thought I was going to go. So like at Arrowhead 135, I set the course record one year. Then the next year I went and it was slower conditions and that just kind of like messed with my brain a little bit and I wound up dropping. Um, so for me going into ITI 1000, uh, it wasn't, it wasn't like a, a plan of like, this is my set goal, even though of course, you know, I, I set these like high reaching goals of like setting a new course record, which definitely didn't happen. Um, but you can't really get in your head. Um, you have to be able to be like, okay, we're going to do 20 miles today and we're going to push the entire way. And that's totally fine. <laughs> <laughs> Which happened. <laughs> I usually go and just wing it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> no, I think it's just, um, I'm doing a lot of endurance rides and races for the whole year. In the summer and the Colorado Trail and it's pretty hard as well. It's not as cold, but you got different challenges. And um, guess uh, it all contributes to to that. And then I'm pretty stubborn, so <laughs> I'm not very fast. I'm not super fast, but I usually finish what I start. And yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Jill, you men you mentioned. Um just uh, the mental aspect. And I, I feel like for preparing for something like this, you have to have like your fitness right, uh, your head right, and your gear right. Um, but how, um, Peter and Casey, how, how do you kind of tackle that, the mental aspect of making sure you're prepared mentally uh, for something like this? And then when you're in it and mentally things go awry, how do you kind of deal with it? Uh, so... <laughs> um... It's definitely not for everyone. Just, uh, the mental, uh, the mental thing is probably, I would say, sixty percent of uh, success. And patience, like, super important. So I'm, I'm trying to always be patient because uh, even like little, slightest little mistake in that call and those conditions can and uh, cause you, you can lose your finger, or you, in the worst case, you can uh, lose your, you can lose your life. And um, I guess that's, 
it's kind of it's kind of important to be patient with everything you're doing and just be positive i guess <laughs> yeah mm-hmm. yeah i would have to agree with that i mean i think going in with loose expectations being flexible is super important because if you yeah go into it expecting something you it never you know it just doesn't it doesn't go according to plan ever and uh i think that's the hardest thing mentally is you're expecting something and then when it you know when you can't follow through on it it becomes frustrating then you get negative and it's it kind of has a snowballing effect so if you can remain positive and flexible and open to what's happening um you know i think you're better off uh and then i think through training just spending a lot of time moving outside i think that's i think that helps you be you know used to being outside in the in the weather and and ready for it now jill uh mentioned pushing your bike 20 miles over the course of or over the course what was your percentage of riding versus pushing uh and when you have those times how do you, how do you mentally prepare yourself for a day that you're just going to be pushing your bike i will say that i really dislike pushing my bike <laughs> <laughs> i went into this you know with a overly positive attitude that i was not going to be pushing my bike too much and you know uh, that bit me really hard uh, right from the start. I mean, we pushed right out of the start. Oh, really? You know, I think fortunately, we rode way more than we pushed. Um, and, you know, the conditions were such, at least for me, you know, that that getting off and walking a lot of times was almost a nice respite from the, from the riding because the riding was really difficult. It was really slow. It was really frustrating. It required a lot of focus. Um, so sometimes getting off and walking was, you know, a little bit of a relief, but, you know, waking up to those days where you pushed all day and only made it 30 miles. It was, I, you know, I was really happy to have Jill and Peter for those days. <laughs> so we're like, the, in terms of the conditions, uh, were they exceptionally bad this year? Oh, I don't know. Uh, maybe like a lot of I think people they were, were pretty bad. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely my my hardest year. Okay. Now now would that be both temperatures or snow conditions or a mix of both? It was just a mix of crazy weather. We had like <laughs> super cold, forty five below, and then second half of the race, it's forty uh, above and raining. So like <laughs> extreme from one extreme to another. So it's, it's, it's just kind of it's kind of living up to the year of 2020, just kind of a, a total <laughs> yeah. shit show. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, it was like every time we would make it past through, through like one challenge of like soft conditions, we'd be like, oh, maybe the sun is coming out, and then all of a sudden <laughs> we'd pick up and it would start to rain, and then snowmobiles would come at us and like make the trail mushier. Yeah, it just kept piling. Like I think we were joking about it, like. What is going to be in tomorrow? <laughs> Maybe earthquake, 
we didn't have that. <laughs> now, were you guys getting updates from your support crews about what was going on in the real world outside of the race? Or was that kind well, of a, you got done with the event and all of a sudden you're like, this is what I'm going home to? <laughs> well, I had an inreach, so my wife was texting me all the time. I think it was really stressful for her. Uh, uh, it was really stressful for her. I, I don't know that it was as stressful for us, but... You know, we had a we had an inkling of what we were going back to, but you know, I mean, it's hard to. It was a huge change. I mean, it's it was a big difference from when we left. Oh, I can only imagine. Yeah. Yeah. When for the majority of the uh, of the route, did you guys stick together closely, or were you working separately, and then and then? coming together at different different points or how did that how did that, how did that all work out um so we all i think we all got to mcgrath at different times um but then we had to wait there for the trail breakers and then we all left together uh with juicy k he was our fourth um i think it was by the time we made it to ruby uh casey had gotten there first and then Peter had gotten there, and then I got there. And I think from Ruby, we all kind of stuck pretty close to each other. How far? After was, that. How far was that into the into the race? A little over halfway. Yeah. Ruby is right when you get on the Yukon River. The reason I'm asking the question is, uh, were you trying to tackle some of these challenges alone, completely alone, or were you kind of? helped out by just the camaraderie or the, the you know having someone else there with you i mean my my for me my whole intention was to race it you know not necessarily race against somebody but uh just push myself and see how fast i could do it you know what i mean um so uh you know into ruby I think I was there a couple hours ahead of those guys. And then when I left Ruby, I pushed really hard. I was like, ah, I'm going to drop these guys on the way to Galena. <laughs> <laughs> I pushed really hard all the way to Galena. I mean, I, I was pushing really hard and they showed up like an hour after I did, <laughs> which was a little bit of a spirit crusher. Um, you know, mentally that was, that was pretty hard. Uh, and then we just had horrible weather after that. I mean, um, so the camaraderie for me after that was it was nice to have people you know it was nice to share the burden of trail breaking it was nice to have jill to you know always be positive um it was it was nice you know i still maybe had a little bit of that racing mentality but the further on down the trail we went the more you know hardships we went through together the harder it was to leave those guys and the more i just liked being around them you know yeah. um the the racing aspect of it you know it just wasn't conducive to that i mean i could have beat my brains out against the wall and you know put a mile on them over 15 hours you know it just the conditions just weren't conducive um and they were way better to be with than i was to be with myself so uh you know and i i think for me i really enjoyed being around them so 
I was so happy that I was able to ride with Peter and Casey. Um, like I went into the whole thing, like not really knowing what was ahead and what I was really up against. Um, and after McGrath, it became very apparent that um, like, I just didn't know what to expect out there. Um, and I think I would have been, I think I could have survived by myself, but I agree with Casey. Like it was so good to have the company and the camaraderie and friends and just people to share snacks with or joke with, or just to talk to out there. Um, and they definitely kept me riding or pushing faster than I would have been by myself because there was always like that feeling that I needed to keep up with them. And, uh, so like normally if I get frustrated, I'll just kind of stop and just like take a breather and kind of recollect my thoughts and then keep pushing. Um, but with them, like I didn't really have, like we definitely stopped and snacked together, which is great, but like, I didn't have the opportunity to stop and like wait for an hour somewhere um, just because I was cranky. And so I kept pushing forward and following them. And I think that definitely got me done a lot faster than if I had been by myself. Now, Peter, you're, the other years that you have done the the thousand mile, um, did you do it completely uh, solo or did you also have a kind of a, a group to work with? Um, or was this year a little different than your other years? So my first time to Nome, I was riding pretty much solo because I got really, I got really sick the second day of the race and just everybody was passing me, even, even uh, runners and skiers. So it was very frustrating, but I got like third day, fourth day, I got a little better. And then I started passing those guys and, but I was pretty much riding by myself, but there was another guy he was not racing he was not part of the race but he was just touring and he was like super nice guy and we all we ended up at the same places every night so i kind of had a, a company sure every night with those little uh, safety cabins but uh during the day i was by myself and then at the end um i joined uh last maybe 200 miles I kind of uh Join with other racer, the last um, section of the of the race. That was my first year, and then the last year, I, <laughs> I, 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 I don't know. I just I don't really care much about racing. I'm I'm competitive person, but like I enjoy company of other people more than racing, I guess. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so last year I teamed up or. I kind of stuck with uh, John from uh, West Virginia, and we kind of rode for maybe since I did a rock checkpoint, so probably about six hundred last six hundred miles we rode together. So it's pretty much like this year, and it was really nice to just have somebody not necessarily helping each other, like breaking trail. But just have somebody, have some company and somebody to talk to. I can completely do it by myself, solo, but I just enjoy being with somebody else and share, you know, share the moments with somebody else. So that's, I don't know, I guess <laughs> uh, this year was pretty, it was, was great. I just, I love to be with these two guys. 
that's that's yeah that's great so a, a word that's been thrown around a little bit um and a question i had before i started talking to you guys is uh is the word race and this can i'm wondering like how you there's different ways you can approach an event like this as either a race or i don't know a challenge or an adventure um i would think with you know the bitter cold and all of the other uh, variables that if I went into it, I don't know if I would necessarily look at it as a race. I would just look at it as an overall challenge. Um, Casey, you made it pretty obvious that no, you were you were in it to, to win it. You were in it as a race, right? Like, yeah. Um, and so, and then Peter, it sounds like racing wasn't necessarily the the highest um, priority for you, correct? Like, the, it was more of just yeah. the the overall challenge. Overall. Yeah, overall challenge and overall experience. Yeah, yeah, great. And then Jill, um, what? So how? What did you kind of go in it as? Um, so I had a lot of different goals uh, that I wanted to kind of capture, and so long as I like made some of them, I was going to be happy. Uh, so like goal number one, finish. Uh, goal number two, finish without any frostbite. Definitely <laughs> <laughs> happened. Uh, goal number three was. Um, to be the first woman uh, to know and uh, that happened. Um, and then also my goal was to beat the women's course record. Jill Homer has it at 17 days. So my goal of getting to know was 16 days. That definitely did not happen. Um, and then my biggest goal was win it overall. Um, and I'm still, I think kind of reeling a little bit over the fact that the three of us were the champions this year. Yeah. Um, so Jill, you kind of, I mean, it, it sounds like you do have that competitive streak to you though. Like, <laughs> I mean, you definitely went in it to finish and finish it healthy, but, uh, it sounds like you were definitely competing a little bit. I'm, I'm definitely competitive. Um, but also, uh, I know in a race like this, of this magnitude, I know the benefits of riding with other people. Um, they'll make you ride faster because you'll want to keep up with them or you'll keep pushing each other, keep working together. Um, one of the little mantras that I say in my brain all the time is work smarter, not harder. And so if I had been out there by myself, chopping all the firewood, breaking all the trail, I would have definitely been working harder and I would have been more tired or not able to go as far every day. Um, so the three of us all working together, making sure that we were eating food and drinking. Um, I will say for the most part, Peter and Casey were the ones starting fires in the shelter cabins. Um, <laughs> Mainly Peter. <laughs> but, now now how often were you able to have shelter cabins versus were there nights that you had to pinch, pitch a tent um uh, i think we were in we were pretty well sheltered i'd say um i think there were three times that i bivvied up outside that one time the three of us were together um but mostly we were in the shelter cabins or city buildings. It depends how fast you're going. Mm -hmm. If you can make it from one cabin to another, they're spread out about 40 miles, sometimes more, sometimes less. So that's kind of how you, you gauge your day is once you make it to a cabin, that's kind of your day. Yeah. At that but if we were there like too early, we wouldn't stay there because it would be just wasting of time. I know. Yeah. And it also depends on conditions. Okay. Like we made it to uh, Caltech, not Caltech. Uh, yeah, Caltech. Pretty early in the day, but we were like beat 
this really gray day with headwind and soft trail and we were all wet so we stayed there at the school it was the only exception i guess we kind of finished the day early but we knew that it's going to have a positive outcome for us for the next day because we had we had a lot of miles in it about 85 miles next day to make it over uh through all the overland trail to the ocean so we stayed at the school now you had mentioned uh trail breakers how often were you coming across trail that you were breaking yourself versus had been packed down by you know snow machines going through or you know other forms of traffic you rely on the trail breakers you know without the trail breakers <laughs> you really you know that section from basically <clears throat> over to ruby doesn't really exist uh outside of you know this short period during the idea run so the reason we stuck around in McGrath for a couple of days is because we needed to wait for the trail breakers to come through and and put a trail in in that section. Um, and they do that with a snow machine. They do that with a snow machine, several snow machines. It's like six or eight snow machines, and they all yeah. pull these big, heavy trailers behind them. Okay. Uh, they put in a really nice trail. Um. So once they go through, you you have a fairly well. Uh, marked trail they put out lathe um, but I would say you know basically all the way to Unalakleet we had a really good trail um, easy to follow after that it started snowing and I, I think we had a much harder time after that we ended up you know our forward progress was hindered because we had a hard time finding the trail you know where it was one of those things where you you're pushing your bike and it's such flat light. You'd kind of drift off the right side of the trail and then you, you, you know, sink in to your waist and step back up on the trail. And then you drip off, drift off the left side of the trail, mm. sink into your waist, step back <laughs> up on the trail. You know, so after <laughs> Unilaclet, we dealt with, we dealt with a blown in trail a lot, uh, which made it slow going. Um, we had to walk a lot. And then especially when we left Elam, uh, you know, that was a completely new trail with no base underneath it. And so, you know, even though there was a trail, oftentimes it was blown in to where you couldn't really see it and it wasn't marked. And so we lost a trail a couple times out there. Um, yeah, I mean, it, uh, without the trail, it's, it's, you know, nearly impossible to do that trip. So you know, the whole trip just, you have about a three, four week window where it's possible every year. I, I have a, a question for each of you. Um, one, you know, talking gear and stuff, which bikes you, you guys rode, but then also fully loaded. How much does each of your rigs weigh in it? Uh, so I ride the salsa mucklock. It's an extra small bike, uh, just cause I'm five two. Um, <laughs> it can be really hard sometimes to get all of my stuff on this tiny little bike um but i did it. and i did it so well that my entire bike weighed about 72 pounds and that was without water and without all of my food on it uh oh, we <laughs> before like shipping them from gnome to anchorage 
and I was pretty surprised at how heavy it was. Um, <laughs> but it was a boss. Uh, I ride a Fatback Corvus. It's a carbon bike. Um, it's a large, so, you know, easier to fit things on there. Uh, one thing I'm always super impressed with women um, is, you know, they don't, they have less space to put stuff on their bike, but they basically, you have to carry the same amount of stuff. It's not like their clothes weigh that much less. So, you know, pound for pound, they push more down the trail than the men do. They're way, they have a lot. They have a lot bigger job than we do. <laughs> but uh, when we weighed our bikes in no, mine was 60 pounds. Oh, wow. That's, you know, basically at the end of the trip, no food, no fuel. Um, so I was a little, I was a little lighter. But again, I think, you know, I was more race oriented. So I didn't, I didn't have some of the nicer things that Jill and Peter did. And I was pretty much envious you know, almost the whole time. <laughs> uh, let's let's hold on to that. I want to get back to that thing. But yeah, let's hear Peter. What, what was your rig like? So mine's um, I had a really bad experience with carbon stuff. <laughs> so I in two thousand uh, fifteen was my first year, uh, and I was riding carbon bike to McGrath, and my bike cracked. C tube crack and the top tube crack. So I barely made it to McGrath. So since that happened, I was like, no, no carbon for me. I'm done. So I switched to titanium, which is very reliable. It's not a light, but you know, it's kind of, if you get stuck with broken carbon parts or bike in the middle of nowhere and what's extra few pounds. <laughs> So um, I had Carver build me a custom fat uh, bike. The only difference is that I can fit five five inch plus tires, and uh, the top tube is straight, so I can fit a big, big uh, frame back, uh, which is important to pack, uh, so you can fit as much as you can in frame back. So it's titanium frame and fork and mine was probably heaviest i think it was like 60 or 74 pounds dry so i would i'm guessing about close to 80 pounds loaded okay i think now peter you mentioned uh, a five inch tires and in an event like this uh, you know neither trevor and i are, are uh, have fat fat tire bikes but uh what size tires was everybody running um in this event because i feel like that's kind of a make or break well, i think a lot of people are i think the uh, dillinger five or four is most popular tire mm -hmm. 45 uh north dillingers mm -hmm. i wrote those my first time to gnome but this just for me uh i'm i like more volume and wider tires. Otherwise, other than that, those tires are great. But uh, last year, I was actually riding Terrain 4.6. They're great, fast tires, but they lack volume again. So mm -hmm. I, this year, I 
I was writing on uh, Johnny Fives. They are, they are through true five-inch tires, really wide. They have big volume, and I was super, super happy about it because they're not the fastest, but uh, the, the volume and, and the width this year was just like, it was golden. Yeah. He was, you know, he and I have the same rims. We both have Nexty 105 millimeter rims, and he had the Johnny Fives, and I was riding the Dillinger Fives which are just a little bit smaller. I think they're 4.8s in real life. Um, and he definitely, you know, he was the good soft snow rider. That extra little bit really added quite a bit of flotation for him. It was, I was jealous often. <laughs> <laughs> and I had, uh, I had the studded Dillinger fives, which I was really happy about. Um, just, because there's a couple times where you come across ice. So I was just really happy that they were studded. Um, but also I was running 80 millimeter head rims and I was super jealous of their 105 millimeter rims. <laughs> <laughs> now, did everyone ride studded or was that just you, Jill? Uh, I know Casey did. Pierre, was, you were studded yeah. too? Okay. Yeah, I had studded. So in terms mm -hmm. of gear, um, kind of going back to conditions and uh and of course the cold like how did we deal with the cold through this and uh like in terms of just the, the gear that you're wearing that you're storing that you're, you're taking with you um what did you have to deal with the extreme cold um, i think the piece that i had that i didn't have when i did the um it's this little piece called a nose hat but it just kind of covers like a little bit of your forehead and it covers your nose and your cheekbones. Um, and it's this really stupid looking thing. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so for me, I mean, I've got the Wolfgar boots. Um, I've got a ton of different layers and they're layers that dry fast or layers that wick sweat. Um, so like I had the Patagonia Capilene Air uh, base layer. I had two of them. So if I could super bundle up or I could just swap out um, a dry one for a dry one. Um, but that little nose hat was like, <laughs> awesome. It, it looks really weird, but it works really good. <laughs> happy to have it. <laughs> what about, what about you, uh, Casey or Peter? Did you have, um, like what, what were you using to control your, um, your warmth or just so you're not sweating too much? Anything, anything special? It's always a problem because biking, it's a lot of, it's very, um, um, let's say, uh, it, it's a lot of energy you have to put up. And I have always problem sweating. So I was pretty much um, uncomfortable for the whole ride. <laughs> Warmer it was, but um, when it's, actually you don't need much. When, it, when you're riding, um, but when you stop, you have to put uh, an extra layer on top, like puffy jacket or something. But when you're moving and it's not, and the wind's not blowing too much, too hard, you don't need much. Your body produce, it's producing so much heat that it just keeps you comfortable. But sure. when it, when it get, when, when weather gets, 
too warm, it's actually it, it's a problem, at least for me, to um, to not sweat. So like the second half of the race, I had a really hard time, um, and I couldn't really take anything, you know, anything else off. I had just my base layer and a vest, maybe, <laughs> and I was still sweating. So, uh, <laughs> but I, I packed like full emergency or cold weather uh, down jacket and um, insulated pants, just in case something happens, something break, breaks, and you'll be there stuck for days, or in worst case, we'd have to walk. So I, I always pack like extra warm gear. Mm -hmm. And I was pretty happy this year. I actually used everything except my big um, insulated mittens. So going over the rainy pass, it was like especially bad this year because the wind wasn't really blowing and was cold. We were that we were up there. Casey was there a little, little, little like ahead of me, maybe a couple hours, and it was like super like coldest, um, coldest time of the day, or actually it was early morning, and it was like super cold, and the wind was blowing really hard, and um, so I actually put all my layers on top of me. I used all of it. Oh, wow. It was still like, I, I wasn't like cold, but it was kind of scary yeah, <laughs> at that yeah. moment. Yeah. And Casey, did you have anything Peter special or I, unique? Peter and I were very similar in our uh, clothing choices. I would say that I didn't have a nose hat like those guys. And uh, going through Rainy Pass, it was really cold you know it was 38 below and we were thinking the wind was probably blowing 50 or 60 miles an hour um so it was you know oh, super God. cold wind chill and i was going through there you know around one or midnight or one in the morning by myself and i you know i just got um you know gust of wind froze my froze my cheeks both of my cheeks and my nose um kind of instantly I knew it happened uh so I had to I had to kind of stop and put a face mask on which is really difficult <laughs> like that you know same deal I had all my clothes on um but when you have to take your hood off and your hat off and put a face mask on that covers your whole face um it was you know it's 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 like Peter said I mean it's kind of scary because you know if you take a mitten off it's really easy to lose it. It's really easy to lose it in the wind. So you have to be very deliberate about everything you did. And I, you know, I just made a bad decision earlier in the night by not putting my face mask on and it, uh, it ended up being, you know, the wrong decision. So I did get some frostbite on my cheeks and my nose, not super deep, largely superficial, but, uh, by the end of the race, I mean, I had, you know, it was dark, black peely skin you know so mm -hmm. it was kind of crazy but yeah i mean a lot of just capoline base layers um a lot of layering you know most of my stuff is designed you know with the thought of mind of being able to take it off over boots um and put it on without really having to take your boots off um and then uh 
you know, I had a mix of uh, synthetic insulation and then down insulation. Um, so, you know, again, similar to Peter, like I um, want to be self-sufficient and make sure that if I got caught out, I would be able to survive like that. Or, you know, if you come across somebody and you it's 40 below and you need to help them and you can't move, just having enough clothing on you to keep warm at 40 below is kind of important for me. So I think I probably carried a lot of clothes, um, maybe more than other people, but you know, it comes in handy and it, it, uh, it definitely came in handy going over rainy pass. This event and this race, it's, it's more than just an experience. I mean, it is, you're dealing with survival and having to survive and having those moments, just like you were saying of, uh, not having your face mask on and, and really doing some damage. Like were there moments for the three of you that um, survival really came clear that, yes, I have to do this and this to make sure yeah. that I'm getting out of this situation. Um, yeah. I was... think for me, it was rainy pass. I had two okay. of those moments, you know, rainy pass a little bit, you know, I knew since I'd been through rainy pass before, I knew if I just made it to the top, the wind was going to die down and it would be fine on the other side. It would still be really cold. It was still 40 below on the other side, but you didn't have the wind, um, which is, there's a huge difference between 40 below and windy and just 40 below. So I knew what I had to do in rainy pass. Um, it was a little nerve wracking where you have like the, you know, when I'm taking clothes off to add layers when it's 40 below and windy, you know, you, like I said, you just have to be really deliberate about it. Um, cause you could really mess yourself up, you know, having a bare hand in that situation is tough. Um, and then the other situation that I think was kind of a bad place to be in was going over the Topcock Hills on the last night. Um, the wind again was blowing. It, it was a completely different situation. It's like 35, and raining as hard as you can imagine. I mean, we were just soaked. It's like super ideal hypothermia conditions. Um, and we had no way to get out of it. You know, it's not like you're going to bivy out there. There was no way to get out of the wind. You know, we all had 40 below down sleeping bags. So it's not like you're going to throw your sleeping bag out and bivy all night. <laughs> <laughs> in the rain and so we, we pretty much just had to keep moving you know we would already been moving 15 16 17 hours that day oh. and uh this was one of those situations where we weren't really riding our bike we were pushing and the longer you went the harder it was to stay warm you know he couldn't even stop to eat i mean the wind was just blowing so hard the only thing i could focus on was just moving ahead um and for me and probably jill like we didn't know how far we had to go <laughs> and uh it was just for me it was like a complete survival situation we just needed to get to the topcock shelter cabin and and then it was going to be okay but not knowing where it was not knowing how long we were going to be out i was really concerned about all of us because we just didn't 
we didn't have a close to be out in those conditions for a really, really long time. And, and that made me really nervous for the three of us. Um, so for yeah. me, those two situations were kind of life or death a little bit. Now you mentioned eating, uh, each day when you guys were embarking on these segments, what was the caloric, uh, amount that you, that you were kind of putting either as your goal or how much you were stocking on your bike? Um, I found I was feeling best if I was eating like a thousand calories for breakfast and then a thousand calories again for lunch, a thousand for dinner, and then just constantly eating in between. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I don't know exactly how many, uh, I set out with, I set out with thinking like 9,000 calories, um, per drop bag, which could have gotten me theoretically if I was eating 3000 calories a day for three days. And that was just a bad miscalculation. (laughs) I needed a lot more food out there. Um, but luckily at the, I did our checkpoints, there was a lot of food, um, which was awesome. And then we were able to rate other people's drop bags. Um, <laughs> but I was, I was probably getting about a thousand calories or more per meal. And then just constantly snacking in between. I remember counting calories <clears throat> when I was packing my food sent and sh- uh, sending to Alaska. And I was like, I can't, I, I can't eat all that food. I mean, it's just too much. <laughs> and I was like really planning well, like getting like, as many calories as I can. So like really dense food packed with calories, but it's still so much food and you just don't have an appetite, especially while moving. So we would just stop and we would just eat and eat and eat. Every time it felt good to eat, we'll just keep eating <laughs> whatever we can, whatever we can, whatever would be found and whatever tasted good because you get eventually get you'll get kind of sick of everything you pack and so then we were like super excited about rating other people's drop bags everybody who dropped we knew who dropped and at the end it was just three of us so we we knew that all that all, the, all that extra food we can get into it and pick whatever we can whatever you know tastes good or looks good so yeah so um <clears throat> Uh, it's just really hard to get, you know, we would just snack all, all, you know, like all day long, pretty much. We'd stop every, I don't know, 15 minutes or 20 minutes, but it's still not enough. You can't just get enough food in your system while moving. So yeah. it's kind of hard. It's, and you've got to be really careful because once you kind of, especially at the beginning of the race, like everybody's trying to be as fast as possible. And it's kind of like, feels like you can't stop and you just have to keep going. It's kind of easy to make that mistake. Stop eating and drinking it can be kind of dangerous. You can, can get in a big hall and it's, yep. it's really hard to get out once you get in. How, so, how, would, how would this year compare for you versus your previous years? Um, did you feel like you, you learned more in the previous years or is each one kind of just a, a, a crapshoot depending on conditions? <laughs> it's, it, it was different every year, but um, I guess I learned new things this year again. 
So just a little things that would be, you know, be nice to change next next time. Um, but uh, nothing uh, specific. I would just change up a little things, but I was pretty happy about, I was like really happy about my setup, all, all my clothes. I, would, I wouldn't change anything. I would take a different sleeping pad. I remember we were having that uh, discussion before the race, and it's just funny. Uh, like everybody's got different opinion about what you should take on or you shouldn't. And I would just yeah take a different sleeping pack pad because it's it's really hard when it's like forty below. It's really hard to you just don't want to spend any extra time setting up your sleeping so. Uh, as fast as you can get in a sleeping bag, it's better. So, <laughs> I had inflatable um, pad, which is really comfortable and super warm, but you have to um, pull it up air, so it takes time. Sure. So you have to mess around with it a little bit. It's that, really, like, that, that really says a lot about an event when, uh, when you're talking equipment, you have to talk about how you're going to sleep. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we pretty much don't spend any extra time. You don't have to. Everything needs to be like, especially when it's like really cold. You don't want to mess around with anything. Just needs to be super simple. You don't. You, sometimes you can't even take uh, the gloves off, so it needs to be glove friendly. So as fast as you can set it up and and uh, pack it up, it's better. Definitely. Jill and uh, and Casey. I mean. Obviously, the two of you are experienced winter endurance uh, athletes, but what then, because this was your first year doing the full thousand mile, um, what lessons did the two of you take from from this experience? Um, So when I did the 350, I remember getting to McGrath and just being like the hungriest that I've ever been in my whole life. So in December of this year, I started eating meat after 15 years of being a vegetarian. Wow. <laughs> um, but there was like, it was like at every, in every village, every meal we were eating, I just had that like flood of l- relief and just like thankfulness that I ate meat now because that was like all we had and all <laughs> points. <laughs> so that was smart. Um, that was a smart change that I learned from in the 350. Um, but I think just with winter camping and with other winter ultras that I've done, um, I've definitely learned a lot and I've, I definitely learned through my mistakes. Um, so I went into it, you know, patience is key. Um, trusting your gear was, was good. Um, I ran tubes in my tires, uh, because I had flats and negative 40, seven degrees at fat pursuit the first year that I did it I had like three flats um so I ran tubes this year which for any other winter ultra it's been totally fine um but the friction of the tube inside of the tire caused slow leaks and so in Roan I had to change a flat um and Peter was there and wound up helping me because I broke my hand pump um but then also in Caltag uh I had to change a flat again and the stupid little nut on my valve stem got stuck and so like we had like two different leathermans that we were using and Casey and Peter had to like muscle it off. 
was just like, ah. So, um, like, we definitely had that conversation on the side of the trail, like, okay, if we're going to do this next year, <laughs> which was a funny joke in itself, because we were all like, oh, hell no. Although, no. <laughs> but, like, more time that passes, the more I actually do want to go do it again. Um, but we'll see what happens with this coronavirus stuff. Um, but uh, running fatty strippers in my <clears> wheel would be key. Um, and there were a couple of things that I took that I wound up not using. Um, like I had some extra hats, some extra face covers that I wound up not needing. Um, and then uh, a foldable saw would have been awesome to have out there. Uh, so I actually ordered myself one on Amazon. I'm really excited to get it. <laughs> uh, I would not bring a foldable saw, but that does. Maybe I'll travel with you all next year. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I think every time out, it's a learning experience for sure. You know, there's a lot of little things I think I'd change, you know, um, Certainly being around Peter, he's got a pretty sleek setup. And uh, I think I'd kind of, you know, locations of things on my bike, I would, I would change. But I mean, um, you know, getting out and practicing and knowing how to use your stove and being comfortable sleeping at 40 below. And, you know, I, I practice all of that going in there. So I, for the most part, I think I was, I, I was really happy with everything I had, you know, I would do minor changes, which I think is always going to happen. You're always going to tweak things here and there, move things around. Um, again, I think, you know, I had a few less items than Jill and Peter, you know, I think maybe if I did it again, I might, I might bring some stuff like booties to walk around in, and uh you know a cup would be nice and <laughs> a couple other a couple other things you know but for the most part um i think i was pretty happy with it you know i wasn't i wasn't out there wishing i had something or you know um wanting to throw half my bike away so <laughs> yeah jill you you joked a little bit about next year and saying that uh, like let's pretend that next year is is just fine it, everything kind of like passes like would the three of you be interested in, in giving this another shot uh it's tough you know it takes it took a lot um like a i had to leave my my job and they had to be okay like without me for a month mm -hmm. um so that was a lot to ask there and then also um i needed to leave my husband with our two dogs and that's a lot to ask right there. And then just the travel, uh, saving up money for it. <sighs> I don't know. I would, I would love to in a heartbeat, but I just don't know if logistically it's going to make sense to go in the next year, especially, um, with everything as it is right now, but it is definitely something that I'd love to go back to again. Sure. <laughs> so I was, for the whole time I was saying that this, this is it three times and that's it. I'm not coming back. <laughs> never, ever, but never say never. Right. So <laughs> I'm already thinking maybe another Southern route I can do, but definitely not next year. It's a big commitment and it takes a lot of time and money and 
uh, and there's a lot of other uh, events I'd like to participate in. So probably not next year, but uh, maybe three years from now. We'll see. Okay. <laughs> I would have to agree with Jill since man, while I was out there, I was like, I'm never doing this again. But, you know, <laughs> as soon as we were done, I, I would go back. I'll go back for sure. I mean, I'll, I'll do the 350 almost certainly next year. Um, you know, just, just like Peter and Jill said, I mean, that's, it's, it takes a lot of time to do that. It takes a lot of time to get ready for it. It takes, it's, it's kind of a burden on your, it's a burden on my wife. She's super supportive about it, but you know, you rely on them to do a lot of house chores, to take care of the dogs, to feed me, you know, to be interested in all my stupid little stories about this or that, um, <laughs> you know, and then getting away from work. Uh, my work's super supportive as well, but you know, I think ideally, heck yeah, I'd go back last or next year, but we'll see how it turns out. Um, I think it's it's a lot of stress on me to um, to have all of that going on. So for sure, I'll do the three fifty. Hopefully, I'll do the thousand, but it might be a couple of years. Who knows? Maybe maybe Jill and Peter and I'll talk about it, and we'll have a reunion in a oh, couple there you years. Go. Yeah, I do. I do really want to do the Southern route, um, and having a reunion with Peter and Casey would be incredible. Uh, <laughs> um, we've been kind of talking about it a little bit already, but I am interested in how you're adjusting, uh, finishing this experience and coming off the high of of accomplishing all of this and then now being in the situation that we all are in, how is that adjustment period going for, for you? Mm. Um, I am still waking up after 1030 in the morning. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'd say it, it was pretty like, this is, this is pretty horrible for me to say. Um, but normally after a winter ultra or an endurance race like this, I, I kind of rush back to work at velocity as fast as I can, sure. um, which is, I mean, I get to work with bike nerds all day. Um, so it's not like it's a difficult job. <laughs> I love it. I love my coworkers. Um, but coming home and having like a week to get caught up on sleep and then a second week to get caught up on sleep and then like a third week to get caught up on putting all my stinky stuff away. <laughs> actually been kind of cool. Um, I've, I've been able to get up, get caught up on things and then uh, get rid of that brain fog that normally I struggle with um, after an endurance event. Um, so it, it's been kind of neat for recovery sure. and that's what I'm used to. Um, but I was definitely like dreaming of things out on the trail. Like I'm going to go get a pedicure, like not that I've had one before, but like that just really good at the time. Um, or like, I couldn't wait to go grocery shopping and just stare at all the food on the shelves. (laughs) That didn't happen. (laughs) So it was, uh, it's been weird. And I thought I was going to get home and hug all my friends and see everybody and like, I thought it was going to be like a tearful reunion when Dan rolled up to pick me up from the airport with the dogs and, 
and I didn't cry. I totally, like there were times I cried on the trail thinking about crying when I saw Dan and it just, I was just happy to see him. (laughs) Peter, Casey, are are you finding it? um... Oh yeah. I went right back to work. So I still really like taking naps. It's really hard for me not to take a nap in the middle of work. (laughs) 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 Problem. Um, Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's been largely maybe, I guess I'd say unsatisfying uh, getting back. Um, it's funny, I, you know, like most of my friends um, and coworkers just can't relate in any way to doing that. Um, so I don't really have anybody to talk to about it uh, other than my wife. You know, and she's doing a doctoral program, so she doesn't really want to, she doesn't want to listen to me. Not in a mean <laughs> way, but, you know, she's got other things going on. And so I can't, like, incessantly just, you know, tell her stories. Um, so it's been weird, yeah, not having, not having interaction, um, you know, not being able to tell stories or uh, have a, have a, productive way to process all of that um has been has been strange and then um you know being tired since i went back to work uh you know i've just been tired um so i haven't really been able to get out and work out much uh consistently which is always a good release for me uh you know stress release for work and life in general uh it's been, it's been a little, it's been a little difficult for me. Um, so, you know, not, not like, I don't know. It's just been lonely a little bit. You know what I mean? Which sure. I think everybody is dealing with. Yeah. So Alaska, are they in a kind of a full lockdown? I don't know what measures Alaska's yeah, put in place. Yeah, we're pretty locked down. We're not allowed to really, you're not supposed to leave Anchorage or leave the community that you're in. Um, You can leave to go work out and do stuff like that as long as you're not doing it in another community. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah, it makes it hard to get away. You know, it makes it hard to get out and do the things that you're used to doing. uh, For sure. Peter. Say it's, so every time in previous years when I got back, I would just go straight to work. And this year was kind of nice in a way that I didn't have to. So I stayed home for like 10 days and I had a really hard time to adjust, <laughs> especially sleeping. You just I couldn't get to sleep like until like two in the morning. But then our next day I would wake up at like 11, 1130. <laughs> and that really didn't help because I didn't have to wake up to work. So it was just kind of dragging on for like two weeks. And when in, and finally, when I had to go to work, it was really hard to, you know, get up at like six thirty, seven in the morning. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it's like Casey said, it's kind of hard to, uh, there's nobody to relate, you know, because nobody understands what's out there, what we went through. And um, so this is really 
there's nothing to talk to about it really. It'd be really nice. And especially this year that I can talk, you know, get, you know, visit my friends and have a beer and talk about it and um, show them some pictures. And so it's kind of like sad. Even when we got to Nome, we just pretty much packed and left the next day. So we were kind of missing that kind of victory. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, you can get some good food, which we were like dreaming about for the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> some beers and a good, good burger. And so no celebration. It was kind of quiet and we left before, yeah, you know, we didn't get a chance to uh, celebrate. So it's, it's kind of, uh, it's kind of sad a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. So. I do miss Peter and Casey quite often. Um, yeah. I miss them a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Which is like, I mean, I'm home, like I'm in a safe spot and I'm really lucky that Dan was so prepared to like take care of me once I got home. But I do really miss like, I miss uh, having Peter and Casey all day long to talk with and to just joke with. And like, there were no other problems. Like, even though there was so much more going on with the weather and with the coronavirus and stuff like that, like every day we just had to wake up and, and move and go forward. And so I feel kind of like a directionless uh, being at home and I would say it's uh, it's been a little bit unsatisfactory as well um, just because it's I don't know kind of anticlimactic like you go and you do this epic huge thing and then and then you're home and yeah uh, I'm lucky that I've got some really good endurance friends that I can kind of talk to a little bit but I definitely miss these guys yeah. <laughs> well I I think it would be great if we uh, close on a positive note <laughs> and <laughs> not that no thank you for sharing all of that i really appreciate that but um i uh i'd love to hear about a, a story or like a funny moment or maybe just a positive moment that the three of you shared while you were on your adventure together um if you can think of one i kind of putting you on the spot i realize I have hey, Jill. <laughs> <laughs> Um, one, I don't know why this is the first one that pops in my brain. Oh gosh, I got another good one. But, uh, <laughs> share both of them. I don't <laughs> so like, uh, one funny time we were on the Yukon river and there was this dead frozen moose just on the side of the trail with this leg like, all up in the air. <laughs> and, uh, we all like kind of rode past it and then we grouped up to kind of eat some snacks and just all immediately started laughing and making jokes about it. <laughs> <laughs> Wondering who like crawled inside of it the night before to keep warm. And, like... <laughs> 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 so I liked that. Uh, but I also, I don't know. There were so many good ones. Um, so movie. Yeah. Are you saying the movie? <laughs> Really? <laughs> <laughs> I was going to just talk about how we would guess how many rotten pieces of food were in like 
somebody's Dropbox. Well, that was a good one too. We uh, we had a good discussion that like lasted over several days. Um, if this was like an action movie, who would like what famous celebrities would play us? <laughs> <laughs> what did yeah? Wh- what did you guys decide on? I want to know. Uh, so it was every day was like challenge after challenge after challenge, and so we were joking that there were just like people in the villages watching our trackers and like they would wait until we were 10 miles to a village and then they would ride their snow machines at us or like oh they made it win let's send some rain um it was very like hunger games-esque um, so jennifer lawrence plays me of course i think because of the side braid hugh <laughs> 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 jackman plays peter because uh, Peter is very like outdoorsman, very like rugged. I mean, he can just like, kick ass. Yeah, I can yeah. see that. I can see it. Yep. Good, good casting. Good casting. <laughs> and then uh, Casey is Ryan Gosling. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I would see this movie. I'm, I'm, I'm buying tickets for sure. <laughs> Imagine like Michael Bay directs a Diderot 1000. <laughs> so, Jill's friend Jenny, she made a poster. I was just laughing so hard when when I saw it on Facebook. It's just hilarious. So she she only took the faces of those actors and put it on our <laughs> bodies. <laughs> it's just so funny. It's hilarious. That's fantastic. Good. I, I'm guessing this was Jenny Acker. Yes, Uh, naturally. I'll have to look this picture up and find it. Oh yeah, you have to. Let's make them posters. (laughs) This was this was fantastic to not only hear about this story, but to get all three of you together and for you to share your experience with us. This was this is way more than we expected. Yeah, thank thank you so much for taking the time and finding the time and and sharing this with us. And I know it was, um, I. There's, there's so much to talk about, and there's probably so much to to process that we we only scratched the surface a little bit. But but I, re- I honestly, this was this was great. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks for having fun for me. Yeah. It, it, it was great meeting the three of you uh, and uh, Jill. Hopefully, when all this blows over, uh, we'll get a chance to actually see you at some events this year. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> All right. All, right. All right. Thanks a lot. All right. All right. Have a great evening. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Thanks Thank for you. having Thanks. us. The Dirty Chain Podcast is a Michigan Midpack Media production in partnership with KOM Cycling, the source for your bike accessories and necessities. Connect with us on Instagram and Facebook at Dirty Chain Podcast, email dirtychainpodcast at gmail.com, or call our hotline at 616 616- If you are enjoying the podcast, please leave us a rating and review on whatever platform you use to listen. Thank you to Jill Martindale and Peter Inman for allowing us to use your photos for this episode. Audio editing and original music by Trevor Gibney. Sheldon Little handles the social media, graphic design, and of course, bad decisions. But not as bad as the ITI 1000. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs)
No, thank you. That, that, that's, a, that's above my grade. <laughs> <laughs> Again, thank you to Emily Molesky for talking with us about the Grit series in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And a huge thank you to the three winners of the Iditarod Trail Invitational 1000 for joining us for this episode. Jill Martindale, Casey Fagerquist, and Peter Inman. And as always, keep your chain clean. But get your chain dirty. We'll see you in the mid-pack.